This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. What I find amazing about this podcast is we've we've traipsed our way through a whole variety of different plants, adikiums and abutilons, uh, and everything else in between. You came on to talk primarily about eucomus, and I don't even know how long. Uh, we... <laughs> no, we've completely not touched that at all yet. <laughs> so, national collection holder of eucomus, yes. uh, Richard Clark of Panache Plants. Um, how did you come to? be the national collection holder it's no mean feat as uh, as we all know well now what happened was was i was doing displays at, at the sandwich flower show and i was always trying to do sort of exotic displays so we had cannas and bananas and aeoniums and all sorts of things in there um never did very well with these displays but we started to put some eucomis in and the eucomis were flowering perfectly for sandringham um, and then people were starting to get interested in them. People were sort of asking about the Eucomis. And then, and I do remember going on the radio one Sandringham, um, a certain Mr. Gray came up to me and, uh, well, well, he's, he came up to Emma, my other half, and said, would you like to go on the radio to talk about the Eucomis? And Emma said, yeah, of course, Richard would love to, and, <laughs> and shoved me on. So, so we got on to do that. So this is all Alan's fault, really um that it all started i sort of thought well people are interested they display beautifully um so i'll i'll start collecting them and and you know we started to to put the display together the wonderful thing about eucomis is um they don't wilt like other plants so in a hot dusty marquee they perform really really beautifully i'm amazed nobody else does displays of of eucomis i think it's probably quite a unique thing to do um, just displaying your comments on their own. Um, it wasn't until you said that. <laughs> well, yeah, they got to jump on and do this one. They're really, really easy. Um, the, the vase life of the Eucomis is phenomenal. Um, I mean, they will last for months in a vase. In fact, they'll start sprouting at the top. They'll start growing again, um, the, the flower heads. They will last that long. You will get sick of them and, and chuck them away. Lots of them are, are grown for the, the cut flower market now. Um, so they're good plants. I mean, you know, they're good for displays and equally good um, out in the garden as well. It's funny that, isn't it? Because actually, when things are really good, they normally get ruined. Chrysanthemums, I think they're self-sabotaged by being too good. And then they become the garage forecourt flower. Um, it's it's wonderful, actually, that you have something like Eucomus, probably because it's m- maybe a bit harder to grow or something. I don't know. But it's it's not. It's not. No. no it's, <laughs> isn't it wonderful that that hasn't happened? It wasn't easy. let's hope no one cottons on and eucomus become as ubiquitous and then they might lose some of their magic because at the moment they do have such a an extraordinary well well, that's it i mean when i sort of first started i started with eucomus bicolor and you you know you buy some bulbs and they're quite cheap and it's this 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 sort of gnarly looking root structure uh, and you plant it and you think wow you get so much out of this you get this wonderful, you know, architectural plant, and it's interesting. It's got this big foliage. It's tropical. It's lush, but it's also got a beauty, and it's pretty as well as as, as architectural. Um, you know, they're they're, they're 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 excellent plants. So, I started to, you know, my display gradually got more and more 
your commis in it because it was a nice, nice, simple thing to do. Um, and we started to collect and had a, had a number of them. So we thought, well, we'll let's you know get one of these collections registered. Let's get recognition for one of the collections that we've got. And that's what we did. And that's how the, the sort of national collection came along. Um, I, I spoke to somebody else who has also got a national collection, but a, a much smaller one. And his advice was choose something where there's not too many of them because it'd be a lot easier to deal with. And I was like, oh, well, you commies, there can't be that many. Um, I've now got 200 different accessions within the collection. Um, and, you know, we're finding more all the time. Um, it, it, it's big. Um, so, but, you know, they're good. Wonderful things. And they drive me absolutely mad. Um, <laughs> you know, as, as a warning for, for national collections, um, it's always best to... You know, if you're going to choose a plant, choose one that has actually got a, a key to the species, because th this is the big flaw with Eucomis is there's there's no real key to the species. Um, and most things are are wrong it is massively, massively, you know, misidentified. Um, so lots and lots of them are, you know, there's so many errors in this. It, it, it's phenomenal. It drives me mad. So how do you dig down into that to figure out the errors to get to the bottom of what's well, wrong? Well, that is that's kind of what the, the the point of the collection is. So the reason that I've got you know I've amassed so many of them is to find, try and find out what is right and what is wrong. Um, the hybrids that have been created in horticulture, in the main, they're right. There's very few mistakes within those, but the species. Is absolutely riddled with errors. If you were to go back to, you know, South Africa where they come from, it would be completely different. I'm sure that most of the material that is in horticulture is not what it purports to be, certainly on the species front. So it drives you absolutely mad. Um, and also I think some things are just were limited selection, you know, limited collections. So things like um, your commiscitiae. You only see they all look very, very similar. All the material that I've, you know, got from, you know, uh, that's in cultivation looks very, very similar. But if you look at pictures of it in the wild, it's far more variable. There's loads and loads of different ones. It's probably because it was only ever collected once, or you know, or that one bit of material. That's the bit that was distributed around. Um, it's a very skewed view that you have in horticulture compared to what you know is actually going on in in the wild. So yeah, it's, it's it's a head scratcher, that's for sure. But I mean, if hopefully if we can get as much material as possible together, and then it will start to you know provide some answers to to what is actually what. Which one is the biggest one? Is it Pelodiflora? I knew you were going to go for that. The big what the biggest headache or the biggest biggest plant? <laughs> at, at the moment, it's probably both. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Pelodiflora. Is the biggest certainly is, is the absolute giant. I must say, I things like uh, Fundamuriae uh, and the smaller ones, I think are absolutely exquisite. I like the really little ones, but yeah, de Flora is the one that everyone's going to go for because it's a monster. It I is mean, a monster. Is it is it synonym of, of sort of Polavansii? Right here we go. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. On the, this is uh, at this point in time. My answer, which may change. The, the caveat with all of this is yeah. it, it could be completely wrong and it could change because periodically I go through, I think I've got everything cracked and then a, a, a botanist or a taxonomist will email me and say, no, I'm sorry, but that's all wrong. 
it's completely wrong. And uh, here we go, back to square one. But is this because botanists then say it's not that because genetically I can see that it's slightly different from polydiflora? Um, I think it's just if you look at the wild stocks, I think they are just completely wrong. Yeah. Uh, with the wild stocks, you know, the, the ones in yeah. cultivation are completely wrong. Um, so the, the palladiflora story, a few years ago, I would have said palladiflora, species palladiflora, is a rarity in horticulture. Because palladiflora, species palladiflora, should be a very small version of a polar banzai. Okay. But more recently, I would say that the bulk of material in uh, in horticulture is actually Palladiflora polavanzi. Uh, sorry, it's Palladiflora var Palladiflora. Polavanzi is a rarity. Um, you, if you look at stocks in the wild, it's it's quite different. It seems to have much shorter um, flower stems, so you yeah. get a much tighter head on it. But there was there was a period, um, probably ten years ago now, maybe slightly more, when Polavanzii was marketed. Yes, as a separate. I mean, yeah. I, I, my little my little story about Polavanzii is I went to this yeah. lady's garden who was a compulsive collector of plants, and she she said to me, "Look at this. I bet you haven't got this, have you?" I said, "What is it?" She said, "It's a eucormis. It comes from South Africa. It's Paul Evans too." <laughs> <laughs> yeah but do you think it was polar vanzai i have no idea richard I, uh, my memory doesn't go back that far because <laughs> uh, i would say it's probably palladiflora a, a robust form of palladiflora species subspecies palladiflora yeah but the strange thing with this is right you can get completely bogged down in the taxonomy of this but my what were formerly polavanzi's, but are now Palladiflora subspecies Palladiflora, they're probably bigger than Polavanzi. We've selected out some absolute whoppers. I've got one in my collection that is particularly big and particularly vigorous plant. Um, it's probably bigger than a Polavanzi. Um, and that is a Palladiflora. Um, and you just think, wow, that's brilliant. So who cares what it's called? Um, <laughs> I'm just wanting to say that. I yeah. am just wanting to say that. Who cares what it's called? Let's just have it. Give it a name. All right, call it Arthur. I don't care. <laughs> That's it. Well, that would be better, really, wouldn't it? If we just gave everything, just cultivar names. Yes. Let's not worry about the species. Yes. Um, these, are, these are brilliant plants. I'm not going to go, oh, it's not polar vanzai, so we'll just dump that. No. It's, it's a magnificent plant. It's phenomenal. So, you know, it's definitely got a a place in my collection, whatever it's called. How do you propagate for uh, to increase your stock? Right. Without so, giving your secrets away, but I mean... Oh, no, no, no. Well, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Sharing, isn't it? Yeah. In horticulture, there are so many brilliant ways of propagating plants, and nobody ever tells you. They never write it in books, they never tell you, and you sort of stumble across it. Um, you know, it, it should be shared. And, I mean, that's part of the collection, is I would like, you know, your comments to be more widely grown. Yeah. Um, so no, I've, I've got no secrets um, <laughs> on this one at all. Um, if you can't propagate your commis, just just give up gardening, really, <laughs> because uh, if you can't do your commis, then you've got no hope at all. Your commis <laughs> is one of these bizarre plants that will grow from a bulb um, and offset, and you can you can take those offsets um, and, and and propagate from those. 
it will also produce loads and loads and loads of seed, phenomenal quantities of seed. I mean, it's quite weedy, really, and it's the amount of seed that it will produce. Um, but you can also produce it from leaf cuttings. Um, so you can you can take a leaf and you can chop it up in a similar way that you do things like streptocarpus and um, St. Paulers, um, and you can propagate um, from the leaves. You just um, just arrange them in sort of late summer. You chop a leaf up and you pop it into trays of compost, keep it quite humid, um, and then that, even that section of, of, of leaf will root and then produce little bulblets. Um, and from one leaf, you could cut that into 10 sections, and each one of those can produce you 10 little bulblets. So you can produce loads off that. You can propagate off of the, the flower heads because the, the, the oddity of your commis and why your commis is your commis is because it has the, the coma at the top of the flower. What makes it look like a pineapple is it's got these lovely bracts of leaves at the top. Um, and as I said earlier on, if you, if you um, cut them as flowers, even those bracts at the top, they will start to produce bulbs after a couple of months um, and, and, and start reproducing. So th there's plenty of ways there to do it. More recently, in my little experiments, I, uh, I bought some bulbs from um, one of the big bulb growers. And, and when they showed up, they were absolutely horrible, these bulbs. Now, you know, I'm, I'm not a perfectionist or anything, but I like my bulbs to look nice. You know, when I receive them, I want them to look nice <laughs> bulbs. I'm going to bury them in my garden and never see them again. But, you know, I really want them to, to look nice. These ones looked like they'd been mangled through the workings of a tractor. They were absolutely butchered, but but they were sprouting. So I thought, well, this is quite an interesting thing that, you know, the, the, the power they have to regenerate. So I thought, well, I wonder if I can chop some bulbs up um, and see what they do. And, you know, I was interested in snowdrops as well. And with snowdrops, you do the, you know, the, the wonderful art of twin scaling, which is very, very complicated. And I, I don't, you probably know more than me, Alan, because you, you have got a snowdrop named after you, haven't you? I mean, this is... I, yes, I have. You know. you know, I'd forgotten that. I really had forgotten that until somebody mentioned it the other day to me that because we've got awesome snowdrops in the garden and they're flowering and this woman walked past me and she said, huh, snowdrops in October. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I have got a snowdrop named after me. I'm very lucky, actually. Joe Sharman named one after me, which, yeah. is, very, which is very kind of him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, snowdrops are a thing in them, unto themselves, but I mean, scrupulously clean is what you have to be when you're when you're twin scaling. But you have to leave, I think, a piece of the base plate of the bulb, that flat bit, like the flat ring on the bottom of the bulb where the leaves, uh, the roots come out from around the edge. You have to leave a part of that with the bulb segments to actually get them to multiply. Absolutely, and then they're all put into different conditions, aren't they? They're all stored in vermiculite in bags, yeah. and then they have to put them into certain temperatures, and then they can take them out. And it's it's this great long process um, yeah. of doing it. Most people use so the airing cupboard, Richard. <laughs> yeah. So I thought, well, I could probably do that, no problem at all. Um, so uh, I got my old dirty old kitchen knife. Um, you know, <laughs> chopped them up into four bits, stuffed them back in the pot there. Uh, no problem at all, um, and and they sprouted quite happily, a lot easier than snowdrops, um, <laughs> and they start to regenerate. I mean, it's obviously stimulating them to to offset bulbs. I think if you're doing twin scaling, um, you'll start to get lots of little bulblets produced um, yeah. around the base. With this yeah. one, you tend to just get what it will stimulate the growth of one shoot. It's yeah. more uh, like, I suppose, dividing a dahlia tuber, and you're looking for something that's sprouting and and an eye. Yeah. Yeah, but with this one, you've just got you've just got the centre of the bulb. 
Um, and I, I'm pretty sure whatever you cut it into, that section will sprout. Uh, and it's, this is a brilliant way of replicating them. Yeah. Um, so you'll get an ugly bulb at the end, but... Um, it will, you know, it will increase your stocks. While we're talking about the idea of sharing propagation methods, um, I should mention that we had a brilliant message come through on our Get Gardening Instagram, which is not as active as it could be, but we do we do uh, check it. Uh, same has got to be said for the wonderful comments you leave us on YouTube. It is often quite hard to reply to some of them, but we read and love every single one. So thank you for all of your wonderful praise, questions, comments, stories, anecdotes. We we love all of it. Um, and this this one came in from Plantsman Phil on instagram because alan had mentioned taking eucomus cuttings of the leaves and this guy was doing cuttings of eucomus dark star and he found that all parts of the leaf will root but the section of leaf containing the leaf tip rooted the quickest and he also found that if you do as alan had mentioned and cut a v-shape in the bottom it increased the amount of bulblets that you got for each leaf cutting but it also reduced the initial survival rate a bit so he tends to use straight cuts so that he gets a greater survival rate and um that's exactly what you're talking about richard that idea of people experimenting and sharing what worked for them so that you've got as much information at your disposal when you're working out what to try yourself absolutely but i think the 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 other little interesting thing when you do it is when you're doing a leaf cutting this is vegetative propagation and you're expecting all those plants to be clones of the parent plants but the strange thing with your commis is you'll get different plants coming up from the same leaf cutting you will get different colors coming up for some odd reason whether it is the complexity of the leaves because you've got lots of different you know markings and spots and stripes and variegation and things within the leaves um, whether that causes it but they're not uniform wow um, as you would hope which is a little little oddity of, of uh, your comments I wonder if anyone else has noticed that fascinating and so. um, before we depart from uh, your comus as national collection holder what are the ones that you would say people should be growing in their gardens apart from all of them obviously what are your top, Absolutely. top picks um, I would say the aloe series are brilliant so there's um, a lower lily layer, um, which is a beautiful, beautiful pink, quite dwarf. Um, I would think it is a autumnalis or Zambesica fundamui uh, cross. Um, it's got really, really good garden performance. You get lots and lots of offsets on the bulb, so you get lots and lots of flowers, um, and it's just really, really pretty. That's uh, you know probably you know the, the the best bit of breeding in Newcomers for for a while. Um, Pink gin is worth it for the name alone. And that is an absolutely lovely uh, sort of camosa type with, a, with a, a, a lovely pink. Dark star, as you said earlier on, that's fantastic for the foliage. Um, really, really good. Paladifloras, whatever they are, are well <laughs> worth growing in the garden. Definitely on those. Um, what else got? Lot is another camosa, which is beautiful because it's got the, the centres um, of the flowers, a, a deeper purple with a paler leaf. Um, everyone's a winner, really, I think. I'll tell you um, what I did also think about you, Gomez, is the fact that lots of the smaller ones make superb plants for containers. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, they have they have a whole long season of interest. I mean, lots of the tiny ones, that you can get them, <clears throat> ones with no plain green, green foliage, but you can get speckled foliage. Don't ask me the names, please, Richard, because I can't remember. Uh, well... <laughs> 
but that is is probably what is spelt van der Merwei, but I suspect it's probably pronounced more van der Merwei. Yeah. Um, so I I would go on the sort of fun or van der Merwei. Yeah. Um, apparently, it's a very very common name in South Africa, but I think we're all pronouncing it wrong. But hey ho. But the bulb manufacturers will say bulb producers, sellers, merchants will say. Van Merwei, and then they would say a name like Speckled Octopus or something. Yeah, similar. that's Just it. To give it a, a name that ordinary people can understand. understand. Absolutely. Well, some of these names are so hor absolutely horrible to, to say. I mean, there's you come as, uh, I would say Skitchi, because it's named after Van der Skitch, but that has got J's in all sorts of letters. I mean, it's a, a anybody asks for it, it sounds like they've been drinking very heavily the night before when they try <laughs> to pronounce it. Um, but it's certainly not spelt sketchy, but I suspect that's probably the, the pronunciation on it. But there we go. It's a lot well, easier if they've got simple names. As I discovered from calling my child a name with a J in it, people don't know what to do with Js. Uh, so Fiola, almost everybody who sees it calls him Fajola, which brings us endless mirth. <laughs> well, no, well, absolutely. well our, my daughter is Freya. And uh, because you know, Emma is Swedish, so my she's my little Viking girl. Um, and we was we thought, I'm not, shall we do Freya with a J? And they're like, <laughs> no, because everybody will spell it wrong, won't they? She'll go through her whole life having a, her name spelled wrong. It's bad enough being Clark without an E. <laughs> so let alone that. My family, have, my family have a branch of Clarks. They came all from right. Yorkshire and they're all without an E. Oh, oh there you go. Perhaps we're related. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be good? I love that. <laughs> Long lost nephew, five times removed, or something. Uh, so I didn't. I thought this was talking dirty. Not this is your life. Now <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've covered you, Comus. Uh, the other thing people might know you uh, for if they've uh, encountered you doing talks uh, in the local area is carnivorous plants. I think you love, alongside everything else we've talked about, love a dabble exactly. in a carnivorous plant. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I've been collecting carnivorous plants since I was about 14. Um, there are better collections of carnivorous plants in the world, I do accept, but no, Saracenas, American pitcher plants, the whole plant will die down over the winter because th these are very hardy plants. Um, and they, you know, they need a, a winter dormancy. So the whole thing dies down over the winter. Um, and in the spring, you'll get the flowers first before the pitchers uh, appear so that the pollinators don't get eaten by the plant. So it's quite a good sort of system for that one. But the flowers are lovely. You've got this upturned sort of umbrella-like structure and then five petals that hang down. They're absolutely stunning. If we do the early shows and we take them just in flower without the pitchers, people think they're orchids or they think they're you know something quite quite exotic and uh, and wonderful and they they are wonderful um but yeah they're, they're worth it for that alone um you can make hybrids saracens are wonderful from a breeding point of view because um all the species will cross together and all of the uh hybrids are fertile so you can cross everything with everything forever <laughs> And you can just make your own vegetable gargoyles, you know, to your heart's content. Um, and you can you can sort of select for the pictures, but you can also select for the flowers. So you start to get different colours coming out of the flowers and you can just go on and on forever with them. So yeah, they're quite, quite lovely. What kind of conditions do they like? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking stagnant water. Uh, well, yeah, they, they need to be in rainwater. 
because yeah. um, obviously the trouble that our water is just too limey um, for those. So we have them all just in rainwater. I just have a, a poly tunnel um, and we just flood the, the base of it with rainwater. So they're permanently saturated, because they're really, I mean, they're bog plants. Um, so, you know, you find them on the uh, the coast of America, right the way from the Florida panhandle up to um, Canada. Um, yeah. So you've got all the, all the wonderful swamps, like the Okefenokee Swamp and, and places like that. Um, so, yeah, they just keep, keep them permanently waterlogged. You don't have I to feed them. I love that name, Okefenokee Swamp. <laughs> oh, and they... they it's on my it's on my bucket list of places I need to go. Yeah, I want to go to the Chihuahua Desert. Yeah, um, and I want to go the to the Okefenokee. Yeah, yeah, and the Okefenokee Swamp just because it's got a wonderful name. Uh. So I don't, I don't. Should you select holiday destinations purely on the name? I don't know. It uh, <laughs> just, just sounds wonderful. But yeah, apart from needing uh, constant saturation, anything else that people need to know if they want to grow them? Um, leave them alone, really. Um, you know, they're, they're fine. If they never caught a fly, there's, you know, they still photosynthesize, they still survive. They're, they're easy plants um, to grow. I bought my first one when I was 14 and I had still got it. So they are incredibly long lived plants. I mean, obviously, uh, it's only been about 10 years, but. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. 10 years? I'm only 19. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, more people, more people probably should grow them now. I've just looked at the time and realised that the baby's going to come back from his walk any time now oh. and probably demand some milk. So oh, that's your lot. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so uh, I'll tell you what. Before we move on to Flomo, shall we give just a little snippet of time to salvias? All oh, right. Yes, salvias. Um, yeah, highly, highly addictive. Salvias are such a brilliant plant uh, because. They are so easy to flower. Um, they flower for such a long period. You've got such a range of colours, um, the flowering um, with them. Um, and they don't like too much water, um, which is great because I hate watering. I spend <laughs> a lot of my life is devoted to watering. Um, so anything that's not going to suffer too much from not you know, getting watered all the time is, is a brilliant thing. Um, again, these are well worth collecting seed off of. Um, if you if you want to do some of the sort of Mexican types, it's quite difficult to hand pollinate them, and uh, the pollination is probably moths. It's probably hummingbird hawk moths, um, which we're lucky we have a population of them. Um, they seem to be doing all the work. Um, if you collect the seed um, and grow them out, everyone is a winner. They are all absolutely lovely. They're absolutely beautiful. We think we've got a few really good ones at the minute, so we're sort of working with those um but yeah it's, they're lovely but salvias are highly highly addictive i think we did about 300 from seed and 298 of them um are lovely they're beautiful there's two in there that i think are particularly good um but the rest of them they're lovely they're all i'm not seeing one that you know i don't like so yeah i couldn't possibly choose um, <laughs> on the salvia front they're all all brilliant Right, I've heard the garden gate go. We probably should move right. on to uh, to uh, Flomo before a screaming child enters the house. Uh, Flomo, right. that uh, fear of missing out you get about a flower uh, or a plant of any uh, any variety, uh, something we haven't mentioned at all, but which I saw on the Panache Plants Instagram a while back was a lychnis. I love any kind of orangey, ready kind of plant. And mm. it was a lychnis uh, arcritei called Vesuvius, orangey, scarlet, mm. 
flowers, which I I thought would look rather nice in my front garden. So I thought mm, maybe I'll uh, add that to my flower yeah. list. And and a butylon as well, because we obviously talked about your love of butylons and, and crossing them. One called Layla Jackson, kind of yeah. peachy yellow, deep red throat to the flower. I thought that was really rather... Yeah, really, really floriferous. Really oh, good. good. Yeah, it is a good one. <laughs> I, I like that very, very much. What's its hardiness, that one? Um, well, I think it's quite tough. I think it's quite good. I mean, all of ours have just overwintered... We overwinter them in a walled garden, so it is, it is quite a nice climate. But they've all been quite happy in there. So oh. I mean, it's not it's not the coldest place in the world, <laughs> uh, that's for sure. Um, and it's nice and bright and sunny, but they seem quite happy in there. So, well, maybe I'll give it a try. I did lose Kentish Bell last year, which was really sad because uh, it was rather rather nice and wonderfully foriferous. I mean, obviously one of the most famous of all of Butylons, really. Uh, so hardy and, and such a good doer. And that was always great on my back fence, and it's no more. So oh. maybe I do need another Butylon in my life. Um, Richard, where are you at with your Flomo? We know you love to always move on to the next thing. So what is the next thing in Panache Plants world? Um, what are my, my current obsessions at the minute? Um, uh, Tyrella or Tiarellas. Um, which are like little hookera. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, yes. Relatives, but really pretty foam flowers, really pretty uh, spring flowering plants. Um, yeah, I've got, got a bit of a thing for those at the moment. Um, and then what else is going on? I don't know, really. Anything <laughs> that's going, really. Um, the, the Hade I'm glad that um, the, the Hedekiums are, are proving popular. Um, so yeah, I'll, any Hadikums that are going is always a good thing. He's going to be taking a stroll along that trial border at East Ruston, I can tell. Yeah, yeah. come and have a look because I mean it's it's nice. I think it's lovely that in actual fact. I mean the RHS are doing this with us and they're doing it with a garden in Scotland and Wisley. So you'll get uh, you know yeah. the the different situations provide different conditions. So I mean it should be quite an a broad spectrum, shall we say? Uh, yeah. See how, how they do. I mean, I hope you will come and have a look. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the thing because uh, you know, I always want to go up and see the Wisley trials. Yes. Uh, but we just never get round to it. Well, the trouble is, Richard, is that London is in the way because you've, yeah. you've got to go almost down to London and turn right, and you think you're nearly there, but you're not. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I, I think you're right there. I think London is in the way of a lot of good nurseries. It is, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, perhaps we could move it or something. <laughs> that would be nice. That would be nice. Yeah. The only downside of Norfolk. Let's keep oh, it that way, Thordies. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'd go for tetrapanexes as well on my ah. Flomo. So some of the cultivars. Uh, May Feng is one I'm after at the minute. Um, so, yeah. I've, got, big... I've just got Dai Su Chan. Dai Have Su you? Chan. Yeah. Oh, I'm definitely going to come and see you then, Alan. <laughs> well, it's only a cutting, but oh right. I just have to say, if, if going on to my Floma, Floma, if I may, yeah. is yeah. Ficus jolly tiger. It's a fig, and it has very, very variegated yellow leaves, slashed with big patches of yellow. I only know two people that have got it at the moment. One is oh. um, Wisley, and the other is Philip Oosterbrink. And Philip yeah. came to the garden the other day, and he very kindly bought me a box of plants. For which, Richard, if you see this. A podcast thank you so much i was thrilled <laughs> and it was from this box of plants that i got tetrapanics daisu shan um cool 
which is a lovely, lovely plant. I'm so pleased to have it. But you're still yeah. waiting on jolly, still waiting on your ficus jolly tiger then? I am, yes. I mean, one of these days, somebody will take enough cuttings and it probably cost me an arm and a leg, but I have been saving. So if anybody out there is listening, please <laughs> get in touch. Oh, <laughs> and that's see. what Richard was saying about eucharist. There's a plant that I've been growing in the garden for years, which we used to grow um, as a as a pot plant from my, my childhood anyway. And it's it's called Tolmia. Yes. Second name. It's got, it's got kind of um, <clears throat> type type leaves. Um, and it's known as the pickerback plant because it sends out little plants on very thin runners, if you like. Um, and in the garden, most of them die. But if you pick, pick the right time, and I did, I was going past and I just saw all these and I thought, oh, you're going to get mangled in the next few weeks. So I picked a handful off, put them into a, a cell tray, put them on a warm bench. Everyone's rooted. <laughs> so that's that's a piece of thrill for me. Um, it's not exactly a, a flomo, but it's just to raise awareness of the fact that this time here is a garden worthy plant. It's a but flomo, flomo for know, everyone else. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> well, if you'd like one, you've both got one. So <laughs> there's a nice golden version as well. I can't think of the cult. Yeah, this is very pretty. Ah, have you got it? Yeah, yeah, I'll swap it for a touch of panic. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> you might have a bit of a wait, I'm afraid, but we'll try. <laughs> Well, Richard, I mean, we've we've barely scratched the surface, really, in all the time we've been talking. So you'll have to come back at a slightly more oh. floriferous time of year for yes, some plants absolutely. that you grow. And we'll do copious quantities of show and tell. But it's been absolutely wonderful to delve into the Roscoeas and the breeding, the the salvias, the eucomus, all of it. Um, thank you very much for coming along and sharing so much time with us and, and actually relocating to a different house so that you could have as much peace as possible. <laughs> Recording. It's been lovely. I might just stay here, to be honest. <laughs> um, until next time, thank you very much and happy gardening, everybody. Happy gardening. <laughs> happy gardening. <laughs> hey, Fordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. <laughs> <laughs>